0: What him mentioned the one thing that I cannot get used to in our day is all this confidence and this certainty of everybody's going to heaven. Don't doubt it. Never troubled about it. And I can't figure it out. Don't all the children go through periods of wonder? Am I really one of the Lord's? If I am His, why all this within? turmoil, doubt. Was Paul wrong to question whether or not he would make it into glory? When he feared in preaching, walking away, he'd beat his body into subjection. Lest he himself be a castaway, a reprobate. And where's the language of Bunyan today? Pilgrim's Progress. A chapter or two spent on him getting to the cross with that burden lay down wait on his back and then the rest of the book the entirety of the book is given to his journey perils dangers until he begins to cross that last great gulf separating us from here to eternity. I do not understand. And where is the fear? I brought up the subject two years ago at a conference. Sitting in the pastor's living room with a group of other preachers about the fear of facing God and the time between our being completely sanctified I know in the aspect of God we are but I'm not talking about that I'm talking about change from glory to glory until that last final and how long will that be and of course two of them jumped in on that to weigh in their weighty opinions. And they say, well, it's just in the twinkling of an eye. It's just in a moment. It won't be long. I said, no, no. you got time measured in seconds. You can't do that. You tell me which is longer, ten minutes with your best friend enjoying the company and the fellowship, or ten minutes sitting in a dentist chair with a drill grinding on your teeth. Which one of those is the longest? You say, well, they're the same. Now, while you're sitting there, they're not. You think he never will get through. It's a fearful thing, folks, on us having to face God. I'm not all that certain as this crowd today. But as you were reminded, we must keep pressing on. For God has no pleasure in those that draw back. It's not you who start, not we who start. It is we who cross the finish line. Probably the greatest Mind that God has ever given the church outside of the Apostle Paul was John Owen. I mean, he was brilliant. And he said he had tried all his learning, all of it, to be able to preach like the Tinker, Bunyan. Bunyan knew practical side of Christianity, the experiential side of Christianity. And that's what I want you to know. Know God by experience. Well, if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 9 this morning, I have four or five other passages I've But you by last several months and only a passage or two here or there Lord Hepburn, we'll we'll make up for that Romans chapter 9 in a few minutes I want to begin reading with verse number 30. Read down to 33 and speak to you about a stumbling stone and rock of offense. Before we read, would you join with me as we seek our Father's dear face? Precious Lord, we bow to give thanks for your being, for the grace and mercy extended to all who are beginning to know thee, to all that you are revealing yourself. Or how can we know thee, apart from Revelation? We might go a long way in various fields of human study, accomplish great feats. But the one thing we cannot do, we cannot know thee by human wisdom and intelligence, the grave-learned doctors of thy law missed Jesus. So shall we if you do not make Him known to our hearts. Now, Father, as we come to these portions of Scripture, the offense of the cross, The foolishness of the cross. A storm of stumbling and a rock of offense. As it was, so it is. And so shall it always be. And in the cross, you confounded the wise, the learned. There you condemn all self-righteousness. And there we must go. But as our dear Lord, who bore Thy curse, who suffered an eternal hell and separation, And Lord, we all know that he's on the throne of glory today, not eternally separated. And our minds can't grasp the fact that he paid an eternal debt for me and any and all the children that will be with him. Explain, we cannot receive, we must. Now, Father, we all are so needful from the preacher to the hearer. None cannot preach except all in sin, energized by thy Spirit, given wisdom from above none can hear, except, Father, you again today do a gracious work within their hearts, preparing them to receive, to handle, wisely, and then for all of us, to do that which you command. For it is not the hearers that all alone, but it is they that do the will of God not looking to that for my justification, but just doing, because we love Thee. And serving Thee is the chief joy and delight of our souls, though filled with so much error Sin, and yet, Lord, we must be faithful in doing thy will. Have these dear souls exalt Christ, would you bring us fresh and new to the foot of Calvary? And there, Lord, again, look up with a broken heart, with weeping eyes, because we did that. In my stead, in my place, He did that. For my sins, He hung there. God help us and be merciful unto us. In exalting and glorifying Christ in our hearts and in our midst. And if it is pleasing, would you cause some dear soul just to stop? There, wondering, was I included in his death? We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Romans chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say, then, that the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, they didn't have the law of God. They didn't know what true righteousness was. They did not know how to attain unto that. The Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, have not attained to the law of righteousness. Righteousness. For folk, they determined what it meant, how it could be yielded to obey, and how they would benefit, but they didn't. When Christ, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, is saying to them, you have heard it said, and he would quote Moses and the law, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not commit murder, and they all pat themselves on the back and said, oh boy, we have not done these things. And Moses said that, but that's as far as they can get. With the law of God. Jesus said, but I say, let's go one step further. Let's take the written law of God, thou shalt not kill, and let's see the spirituality in that law. If you hate you are a murderer. If you lust after you are a thief. So Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion Zion, a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed or confounded. You see, folk by the crucifixion, interpreting it from their law proved that Christ wasn't who he said he was. It proved to the Jews, following after the law of righteousness, their law. You say, it was God's law. Well, it was to begin with, but it had been diminished to the point that it was theirs. And their law said that if a man is hung, crucified, on a cross, he's cursed. And that proved to them that Christ wasn't the Son of God, that he was cursed of God. And it was the one thing, if Jesus Christ had not appeared to Saul of Tarsus, who was following after the law of righteousness, written. If he had not appeared to Saul, Saul would have gone all the way to death serving God, believing that Christ was an imposter. But he met a resurrected Christ, and that convinced him what I thought was a stumbling stone. And what was a rock of offense is my salvation. Jews thought a good man won't die like that. Now folks, Saul knew, Saul of Tarsus knew Isaiah 8:14 about God laying in Zion, a precious elect cornerstone, that it would be a rock of offense. And, And Saul of Tarsus was so versed in the Jews' religion that he said he profited above many his equal in the Jews' religion because he was more exceedingly jealous of the traditions of their fathers. They got it right in Saul's mind. Everybody else is wrong. This little crowd that's following after Jesus, they're all wrong. Because the tradition of my fathers say, Cursed is the man that hangeth on a tree. Folk, as with him, so with you and me. There is no teacher but experience concerning inward matters. Now, I can tell you some things. You can tell me some things. You can know them in your head, but you will never know them in your heart until your experience brings out the reality of what God is talking about. For every one of you will admit, so will the world. Everybody will admit, will admit, I'm not perfect. And in that crowd, most of them will even tell you or admit that they are sinners. But no one knows the depth of depravity and the degree of sinfulness about us, And and even in meeting Him, we still don't know. when you meet him in his light, you see light. That's why we do not like the light, because the light exposes what we really are. And you're not a good-looking sight in Adam. I'm not. We're more fit for hell at any one given point than we are for heaven. We are sinners. We will sin. Shall then I excuse my sin? Absolutely not. We really don't want to know who we are and what we are. Because there's not a one of us in mind or heart as bad as we really are. And if somebody comes along and preaches the depravity of man, and that the gate is compressed, straight, and that the way is very narrow, then That creature is a mean spirited man in this age. You won't know how well you can't know. But Job had this testimony from the mouth of God himself. There was a man in the land of us, perfect, feared God, upright, and eschewed evil. And you go on through and you read, you read the book of Job and then you come to chapter 42 with his confrontation with God. He said, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself. If you want to know, just get alongside Christ. And you begin to find now just how utterly corrupt all of us are. I've been hearing about you. Now God said He was upright and perfect, and then God brings Him into His sight, and He said, "I abhor myself and repent in sackcloth and in ashes." Before every one of you know as much about God as inward experience teaches you. And now we come to the cross, a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, foolishness in preaching about the cross to all that perish. Because all that perish will perish. they none of them as bad as they really think that they are. To the point that God would do something that drastic as to kill his son. We don't need that much salvation in our minds. And and the preaching of the cross is an offense to the natural religious man. You can't tell him he's bad enough that he's got to get to the cross. All he needs is God to apply a little salve to cover up his sores and his bruises. God cursing his son, oh, no, I'm not that bad, yeah, you are, unto us it might be foolishness, under those that perish, but unto us, who are saying, it is the power of God, because nothing could deliver you from hell except the cross. Nothing. But in my day, in your day, we found a way to take the offense out of the cross. We found a way to make it acceptable so everybody can receive it and make it palatable to the palates to the of natural man. And we sing about the cross, and we preach about the cross, and, and we've made it acceptable in our day. And God said, I'm going to pass over Egypt this night, and death's going to be in every family. And among all the beasts, the firstborns gonna die. The only way—the only way that you can avoid death by that slaying angel—is to take a lamb, and if you've had it up for fourteen days. Kill it. Collect the blood. And strike the blood over the little post of your dwellings. And then you're gonna take the lamb and you're gonna roast the lamb. Not gonna sod it with water, or you're not gonna season it. It's just gonna be a piece of raw meat roasted by fire. And then to add to that, you're gonna have bitter herbs. Folk, I don't know if this is from God's standpoint, or if it's more from our standpoint, that's the Lord's Passover. It's not going to be a feast that you enjoy, because that lamb represents my Son. And you're not going to have this big jubilation. this party atmosphere when it comes to the death of my son, you're going to taste what it is to him and what it is to me, the bitterness in having to give up my son and the bitterness in him having to die, you're going to know a little about that in the bitter herbs you eat that night. And God and Paul said to the church at Corinth some of you've been making a party out of the Lord's supper and you carry folks out to the cemetery and you go down to the hospitals and you visit others that are sick and dying because they abused the one thing that was identifying to your visible sight the death of my son. There is a bitterness in the cross. We've alleviated that. Today, and how oft have you seen it in evangelical meetings, Crowds walking the aisles, chewing their gum, grinning, holding hands, going down to the front and accepting Jesus and getting up and walking out. And nothing, nothing happened. Nothing. You can't accept him and walk away the same. You're going to get to the cross before you ever be saved. And at the cross, you're going to find out something in, in the, your soul by experience of the bitterness and the agony. And, and it's not about you going to heaven. It's not what salvation about. It's about the glory of God. Read John seventeen three, And salvation comes at the tail end of all. It's about the glory of God. It's about the Lordship of Christ. And then it's about your salvation. Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, verse 2, I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people, which walketh in a way that was not good, because they devised the way in which they would go, just as they did the law of God. They walketh in a way not good after their own thoughts. And most are going to go to hell based upon everything but the death of Christ. Your mind, carnal mind, is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. It is only subject to its own interpretation of what the law says. Do this and you shall live. Don't do that and you'll be okay. Go here. Don't go there wear this, don't wear that, and you've devised a plan wherein you are acceptable before God. Saul said, I was alive without the law of God all the time he had a law in his back pocket. Caring about the Bible, the Old Testament, And I was a lie because he was interpreting it. He was abiding by his own interpretation. He was walking in a way that his fathers had devised after their own thinking. And didn't know God all the time he thought he was serving God. He had a mental interpretation of the law of God, a mental interpretation of the Scripture, a mental perception of what the Gospel is about. But as to the spiritual interpretation of of the Old Testament law, he didn't have a teacher. But one day, God met him, and he said, when the commandment came, Paul, haven't you had it all the time? Well, yeah, I've had it all the time. But I didn't have it. Not according to God's meaning. But when the commandment came, sin revived. I never would have known what it was concerning inward lust, inward thoughts. If the commandment had not in spirituality been brought to my heart, thou shalt not covet. Dear ones, you can know the book. From beginning to end, you could have the ability to speak about all the doctrines. You could have even earned your degree in biblical studies and be dumb as a rock concerning God. Job 28. Job's speaking about a vein for silver, a place for gold. But he tells you those are in the dark places. Rubies, the gems, lie buried out of sight. And he goes on to get down to verse 20, and he asks this question. Whence then cometh wisdom? Saul of Tarsus was a brilliant young man. Where do you get wisdom? Where is the place of understanding, seeing it is hid from the eyes of all living, and kept close from the fowls of the air? Destruction and death say we have heard the fame thereof with our ears. God understandeth the way thereof. He knoweth the place thereof. For he looketh to the ends of the earth and seeth under the whole heaven. You can get knowledge from reading a book. But you can't get wisdom. Knowledge is an accumulation of facts. Wisdom is the ability to rightly apply those facts. We think we're so powerful. Verse 25, to make the weight for the wind. You've all seen destruction, the tornadoes. And hurricanes. And we head into the windy part of our our year down here. What if all the wind that will blow in March and April was concentrated to one specific spot? Complete devastation. But God makes the weight for the winds, and He weighs. The waters by measure When you make a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder. And God's determined that the rain usually falls in small droplets. You know that an inch of rain covering an acre would weigh a hundred and thirteen ton. What a that fell in one drop. Complete devastation. God, in wisdom, determined the course of the rain, the strength of the, of the wind, rain, the weight of the rain, the weight of the wind. Now where are you going to get wisdom? Like that. Not attainable folk. Verse 27, then did he see it and declare it. He prepared it and searched it out. And unto man he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. I don't know anybody that is afraid of God anymore. We've made God to be such a nice, likable little fellow. Sweet little Jesus up there, ruling and reigning, just loves us all to death. We're like that little teddy bear that he pulls up to his bosom and just holds us tight. That's not the Christ of Scripture. That's not the price God paid for you to miss hell. Get all the wisdom and learning he won't learn the book, know the book, be able to discuss the book. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is a man that bows on his knees, a woman that bows on her knees, and there is fear and trembling in her soul as the very discourse goes on between her and the living God. You know what, folk, most of us have got this little image that we've made of God. We haven't taken a board and cut out a pattern. We haven't taken some, some canvas and some paintbrushes and paint and drawn this little picture. But we've got this picture of God, this image, and it's up here in our head. And when we bow our knees, more than likely, that's who you are talking to. For we have made God, didn't like Him too high, so we've made God in our own image. For folk, it's, it's, it's tremendous at times to be on a relationship of friend to friend, talking with Christ, with God. On the relationship of a wife to a husband at times. But sometimes God's going to strike that and you're not going to know it. And you're going to come back to find He is God. You want wisdom, the fear of the Lord. You want wisdom, departing from evil, is understanding. The fear of God is you getting close enough that you can feel the very heartbeat. And yet, you getting close enough to feel the very heart of God expressed. There's all this darkness within us manifest, and yet you stay there trembling, fearful, And you get outside that by just looking at the cross. More times than not, all you're going to know about you is your depravity. Every now and again, you will get a glimpse of sonship by faith in Christ. But you'll go through life fearing God. Don't you fear the One that's got the power to take you before your heart beats another time. Nobody today. Because of this God we've made. And the cross. Wow, that's such a sweet little story for us to know. First Corinthians One eighteen and nineteen. First Corinthians one eighteen for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish. First Corinthians one eighteen is to them that perish. Foolishness—it's offensive, not that bad. But unto us, which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, "I will destroy the wisdom of the wise." God will take away everything you've got in the in the mental knowledge, destroy it, and bring to nothing. The understanding of the... You think you know something? God said, you're fixing to know nothing. I'm going to destroy the wisdom of the wise, take away the understanding of the... What is wisdom? The fear of God. What is understanding? To depart from evil. The ones at the cross there was the culmination of the work of God. For every person that will be in glory, guess where you're headed. What did the cross do to Jesus? Killed Him. Guess where you're headed to death. I'm not talking about physical. We don't want to hear that. We will fight against dying like an animal that's gasping for the last breath or kicking, for the last one more beat of its heart. We want to hear those sweet little sermonettes that tell us how good we are, and how much God loves us, and how much Christ loves us. But Saul, having met God goes on to meet a dying Christ and, and the testimony that rings from his life from then on, God forbid that I glory, save in the cross. You've got something you want to boast about, boast about, die. Fellas, you've got, you've got in, in, in the physical, the greatest teaching instrument by experience. An old preacher long since been taken from this world, he said, Son, if you get united to a woman, you're going to die. Do we? Will a Christian wife take advantage of a dying man? Absolutely not. Because you know what? She's dying too. If God determined to save all... that were chosen in Christ from the foundation of the world. If Christ was determined to save all that the Father gave him, then all that the Father gave him shall come unto him. And guess where that meeting starts? At the cross. No, I'm not talking about on you visiting Mount Calvary and kneeling there and viewing the sight there. I'm talking about you meeting and experience a dying Savior. Dying, he loved me. Being raised, he saved me. Fixed you to a cross. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Paul? For it is the power of God unto all that are saved.
1: Not ashamed of the
0: gospel, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. I'll not continue on. I wanted you have to read Isaiah twenty-eight seven and following Ezekiel thirty-four two God talking to the preachers Ezekiel thirty-four seventeen through nineteen God talking to the sheep to the flock. By close two of the greatest shocks ever going to be number one meeting a God you never expected to meet. the Baptist and everybody else has made a God and we've taken out the offense of the cross. The offense it is to my natural man. I don't want to die. I want to live. We've taken out the offense of the cross. We've made a God in our own image. And God said you thought I was altogether such a one as I said. You thought I was just like you. That's how powerful the human mind is. That's how deceptive sin is. You thought I would just like you. And that's the God we think we're going to meet, the one that we've fixed. The second greatest shock ever going to be? is these that in their great boldness pass through death all the way to an encounter with God and Him saying, Depart. I cannot imagine that. I often contemplate upon it. Depart. First of all, I can't understand how somebody can think they are good enough, and folk that never doubt. And some of you may be under the persuasion that, well, if I was really that bad, God would convict me. Not necessarily. God's not obligated to save any of us. Not as weed down, creatures of earth down here are looking at it. How can folk go through life, through death, without doubt and concern?
1: Well, everything's
0: all right. If it wasn't, God will tell me. You don't know that. You are assuming God will tell you. You really want to know what you are, get to the cross. And you won't know what true repentance is? It's not me weeping because my sins will send me to hell. It's me weeping because I see what my sins did to my Savior. And what God did to His dearest dearest Son, to His heart, it pleased, Lord knows I can't get anywhere near that verse, as to grasping the smallest degree of what God said, it pleased God to bruise Him. You take your daughter out there, your son out there, and you give them to a for a wicked, the most wicked criminal out there. And you say to the courts, put him to death, let that wicked man live. And we want to walk around like we're these good little folks. Go to the cross, and the truest repentance. Lord, He died for me.